You know, I didn't find Jesus. If you just took the title of that, you'd say, well, you found Jesus. No, I didn't. He found me. He has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And um, I sang that song particularly, my wife and I, the Lord willing, will be singing a duet tonight. My wife is my favorite duet partner on the planet. But I picked that song because of the topic that I'd like to deal with you from the word this morning about, and it has to do with looking for God. Now, the scripture says, there is none that seeketh after God. We are all gone astray. We're not even looking for God, but God is looking for us. And uh, I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, the missionary text of the book of Acts, and we'll begin in study, uh, our study in chapter 8 this morning. Acts chapter 8. We're just going to glance at three brief stories from the book of Acts that you know. You've heard these stories. I would uh, believe that uh, you've been exposed to the the first one here. Of course, as the chapter starts, uh, Saul has just witnessed the stoning death of Stephen, and it had a great impact on Saul. That's another message altogether. Then we find that Philip is in Samaria preaching and experiencing great fruit. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I think I know why Philip in Samaria was experiencing great fruit, and the answer is John 4. When Jesus met the woman from Samaria at the well and led her to a saving knowledge of her her Savior and Lord himself. And he told her to go back and tell everyone that she knew. Well, she knew a lot of people. And she was faithful to that witness. And I think when Philip came up uh, to Samaria and preached the gospel, the fruit was largely a result of that woman's testimony. But here we find in chapter 8, starting with verse 26, that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, Leave Samaria, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Now you know the story. He found a man in the desert who was a Ethiopian eunuch, uh, probably a black man, a black African, traveling no doubt with a group, his entourage, because in today's terminology, this man would be the minister of finance of the country of Ethiopia. So Philip goes down, finds the man in his chariot. He has great authority. He's reading in the book of Isaiah. He's reading the chapter best describing the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death for us on the cross in Isaiah, the Old Testament text, chapter 53. What a place to read. Philip hurries and he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? The man says, now now think about this for a moment. How can I understand if no one shows me? That's like someone coming up out, out of the 7-Eleven or wherever it, is, wherever it is you pump gas and you're pumping gas and somebody comes out from the store and says, say, are you a preacher? Well, yes, I am. Well, or maybe I'm not a preacher, but I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Would you share with me how to know Christ as my Savior? How many of you had that experience this week? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's like what's happening here. Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, I need somebody to show me. So Philip opens his mouth, preaches unto him out of Isaiah 53, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he leads him to Christ, and he's immediately baptized. 
The second story, a couple pages over, is in Acts chapter 10. And uh, you remember that Cornelius, who is a Gentile Roman soldier, has a vision one day. And uh, in the vision, he's told to send to a city of, called Joppa to find one Simon, man named Simon, surnamed Peter. And while the messengers are traveling to Joppa, Peter is having a vision of his own in Joppa of a sheet with animals on it. God is telling him to eat all of the eat of all of the animals on this sheet, although some of them are clean, some of them are unclean in the ceremonial and mosaic way of looking at things. Peter then travels with those that came to get him, goes to the house of Cornelius, and enters in. Now, Peter being Peter, makes a comment as he walks into the house. And this is one of the reasons I relate well to Peter. Uh, first, he comes up to the home. Peter's coming in, verse 25, Cornelius meets him, falls down at his feet, and worshipped him. Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. He refused worship, and uh, interesting for the first pope to refuse worship, but that's another matter. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together, and this is what he said. You know how it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come onto one of another nation. I got dirty just stepping across the threshold right here into your house, Cornelius. But God, don't you love the expression, but God? I think of Joseph in the book of Genesis. You meant it evil toward me, but God meant it for good. Um. Do a study sometime of the but God passages. He said, but God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So Peter preaches the gospel to the group there in Cornelius' house and uh, says to them that God is no respecter of persons. And Cornelius and a number of those in his home trust Christ as their Savior and they are immediately baptized. The third story takes place in Acts chapter 17. A few more pages, Acts 17, and uh, we'll begin reading at verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city of Athens wholly given to idolatry. This was a pagan society. Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews, always Paul's habit to start with his countrymen, the Jews, and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? How would you like to have yourself introduced that way? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ear, we would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but sitting in the marketplace either to tell or to hear some new, strange, or different kind of a thing. Paul presents the gospel of Jesus Christ to these men. He notices their altars, their idols, as he walked down the streets of Athens, and he notices one that says, to the unknown God, and Paul says, I came to introduce you to this God. So, let's take just a moment and compare these three stories. We'll start in the reverse order. We'll start, since we're here in Acts 17, right here 
and uh, find a link between these three stories. Here in Athens, these men considered themselves to be intellectuals. Um, it's interesting to me that uh, the men sat around chatting all day long. It doesn't say what the women did. Um, and they were looking for some new idea, some new thought, some new system, some new philosophy, some new ideology. And they were, don't miss this, devout worshipers. Now think about that. They were, they were devout idolaters, but they were seeking to cover their bases. They were seeking to worship all of the gods that they knew of, and even the god that they didn't know his name. To the unknown god was the, the altar or the idol that Paul made uh, mention to them of and had just walked past. Paul takes the word of God and points out to them that God is seeking worshipers. Verses 27 and, and uh, verse 26. Further, he points out that worship is the reason that God made man. Now just stay there for a moment and ponder on that. Paul says worship is the reason God made man. However, Paul says that God will not allow this worship to include idols. These men were wanting to worship God, but they didn't know him. And therefore, they were doing it in ignorance, and Paul had come to Athens to introduce them to the God that they didn't know. Back in Acts chapter 10, Paul is in the home of Cornelius. As a centurion, we could say that Cornelius was la creme de la creme. He was, he was more than just a good soldier. And in verse 2 there in Acts chapter 10, it says that he was a devout man. Now, that's an interesting label for a Roman centurion, a devout man. One that feared God. That's a capital G. That's the God of the scriptures. Feared God with all of his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour, which would be about 3 p.m., he had seen a vision of an angel of God and said, the angel said, Cornelius. And according to Acts 3, the ninth hour was the most important time of prayer in the Jewish day, and Cornelius is stationed in Israel. And God responded to Cornelius' prayer by sending an angelic messenger to speak with him at his door. God knew Cornelius' heart. That he was a devout man. That's the scriptural label. He was worshiping God to the best of his knowledge. However, despite Cornelius' sincerity and his devotion to the true God, he could not be saved apart from what? Hearing the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God had taken note of this seeking heart and the sincere prayers of Cornelius. And Peter had been sent by God to introduce Cornelius to the God of the scriptures. I wouldn't take note that Peter was the one sent because Peter would become the one who essentially reached out into the Gentile world and uh, won them to Christ for God's glory. Then back in Acts 8, our first story... Uh, the, the black African had traveled with a group of, that, of his support staff, those that set up his tent, those that prepared his meal. It doesn't say anything about what business he might have conducted in Jerusalem for the queen of Ethiopia. 
It does say why he came personally. It says he came to worship. Think about that. This black African man, obviously uh, in every sense of the word, a pagan or a heathen, had come to Jerusalem. Somewhere he had heard that the God, the real God, the true God, the God of the scriptures, could be found in Jerusalem. And he had taken the time necessary. Apparently he didn't consult with doesn't say that he that the people traveling with him even knew why they were going they probably assumed that he was on business for the queen and he went down a street where he had been told that there were rolls of animal skins or parchment and containing the scriptures and he just happened to go up to a man whose table contained a scroll no it didn't just happen this was all orchestrated by god he picked isaiah 53 If you've ever, and I know you have, spent time in Isaiah 53, you find yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ weeping when you come to this verse and and others in the text. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. How does that even make sense? It pleased God to take the life of his son because there was no other way for salvation. So, The eunuch buys the scroll. He's seeking to know God, yea, the God of the Jews. And Philip has been sent by God to introduce this this black African man to the God of the scriptures. Now, it may be that you're here this morning. You were invited by someone. You've never been here or you've been here many times. And yet you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. May I say to you that I would love to have the privilege many of us would this morning of introducing you to Jesus Christ the way now you might you might believe that no one can know that they're going to heaven until they die and when they die they'll stand before God at the great gate of heaven and God will have a big scale there and he'll weigh your sin against your good works and hopefully your good works will outweigh your sin friend there is no scale if there was a scale every person ever born in the history of mankind would lose because even our best things even our righteousnesses Isaiah says are as filthy rags God cannot accept them God accepts but one thing the death burial and resurrection of his son the Lord Jesus Christ in my place for my sin and for yours and if you came in without Christ as your savior you came in the door this morning hopeless and helpless But there's no reason, not one reason for you to leave without hope, without knowing that you have eternal life. You say, well, no one can know until they die. In First Baptist Church of Clio, I was nine years old. It was a Wednesday night. I don't remember who preached. I don't know what he said. But as a nine-year-old boy, I knew that God had put his finger right on my sinful heart and And that was the night that I understood that I needed a Savior and there was only one. And I went forward and an old man, I think of him as an old man, he could have been 20. When you're nine, everybody's old. He took me in a side room and opened a very well-worn Bible and showed me how I could know. See, the scripture says, and this is the testimony that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things, John says in 1 John 5, have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know 
present tense verb right now. That you have, present tense verb right now, eternal life. Friend, do you know that you have eternal life? If you don't, God orchestrated you being here today so that you could hear this message. Not, not because I have anything to say, but because it's God's way of salvation. Now, repeatedly as I was growing up as a young believer, I heard preachers, a number of preachers, make this statement. The first prayer that God hears from a sinner is that sinner's prayer of repentance. How many of you have heard that? That's it? Wow. How many of you would agree with that? (laughs) I think that is an unscriptural statement. Is it fair, is it biblical to say that God ignores anything said or done by a person before his personal acknowledgement of Christ as Lord and Savior? The omniscience of God, my friend, is big enough to know exactly where each person is on their spiritual journey. Remember, we said earlier from Romans 10, there's none that seeketh after God. God, my friend, is the initiator. God is seeking for us. God sought us out. God drew us to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, it is said by the linguistic experts that there are about 2,500 languages in Africa, uh, dialects and independent languages. I can speak French and I can speak Ave, so I only and I speak a little English, which means I have three languages. And uh, but I can tell you. Most assuredly, this morning, what every person on the African continent, yea, around the world, when they stand on a hill and it's a cloudless, moonless night, there's no ambient light, there's no power grid nearby, there's no light at all. They look at a sky that is the same sky that Abraham looked at when God said, Abraham, look up and count the stars. And no matter what language they, they speak, I know what they say. They say this in their language. Wow. They have to say wow. Why? Because God has put the reality of himself in every man's heart. In the heart, in the conscience, they know that God exists. But they don't, if they don't want God, God is not obliged to give them any more revelation. But if they say, wow, something is bigger than me. God will give them more. And I would say he will continue to reveal truth to them until such time that someone marches into their town or village or at their door with the gospel, and they will be ready. The heavens declare, shout the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, Psalm 19, 1 through 4. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, those that have seen God shouting to them, are without excuse, Romans 1, 19 and 20. God is always the initiator. Now these individuals, these three individuals, were seeking hearts. They came looking for God because God was drawing them. They had responded to the light that they had, and God was in the process of giving them more and more light. 
although our limited comprehension does not allow us to harmonize divine election and human responsibility, in the mind of our Savior, there's no conflict. There, there's no argument. There's no discussion. My wife and I, I think in the slides, we say, and I'm sorry to date myself by calling them slides. Some of you don't know what slides are unless it's there's snow in a sled or something. But uh, the images, I think I said we've lived in 19 cities and seven countries. We've actually, now that we came back from Korea, our first time in Asia, we spent three months in Daegu, Korea at the end of last year. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful, eye-opening experience to be in a city with uh, two and a half million South Koreans and two Baptist churches that preach the gospel, both running about, well, our church was about 20, and the other one runs, I'm told, about 30. The need is so great. The need is so great. I, I would like at least one amen. The, you know, the, the labor problem that the Lord had when he said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few, that labor problem has gotten worse, not better. What's the fix for that? Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And as you're praying, put yourself in the prayer and say, Lord, would you have me to go? You know, not in the, in the New Testament sense, not every believer is a missionary. I'm sorry. I know when the, the junior teacher has the three and four-year-olds standing there and says, Who's a missionary, boys and girls? The answer they're looking for is, We are. Of course, junior's kids only have one answer for no matter what the question is. Jesus is the answer. But they, the truth of it is, a missionary in the New Testament way of thinking is someone who is sent from a local church to another location to plant a church like the one that sent them. You say, well, whew, thank you for that. Now I'm not obliged anymore to even consider missions. A witness, however, is an obligation for every believer. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world. And every believer ought to have a witnessing life, a witnessing testimony. Why? Because people are seeking to know God. People in your neighborhood are seeking God. People in your workplace are seeking God. Now, if you ask them, are you looking for God? No, I don't even care about God. They might say that, but God knows that he's in the process of drawing them. How do I know that? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that, say it with me, all should come to repentance. We serve a mighty, soul-saving God. There are people in your school who are seeking God. Probably people in your family who are seeking to know God. They may attend church. They may have never darkened the door of a church. They may have a Bible, know right where it is. They may read it every day. They may have never put their eyes on a scripture text. They may not even be able to read. They may pray before meals and pray throughout the day. They may have never uttered a word to God knowingly. They may be moral, ethical, good people. They may have committed multiplied heinous crimes, even doing prison time. They are at every state and every level of belief and unbelief. But I'm here to say to you on the authority of the scriptures that God loves every one of them. And he loves them the same. I look at people on occasion, not so much anymore, but as a young man, I remember looking at people that I wrote off. That person will never be saved. 
I don't have that right. If, if I could write someone off, God could write me off. If there's not room for everybody at the foot of the cross, then there's not room for me. God loves us all the same. There is someone that you know, probably a number of folks that you know today, who are waiting. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for you because you're a believer and you're in their circle of influence or they are in yours. And they are waiting for you to come and to tell them the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you may be the only believer in that person's circle of influence who knows the truth of Scripture and who can share it with them. You know, it's amazing how readily and easily and callously and casually we dismiss opportunities because we're afraid, because we're hesitant, we don't, we don't want to be laughed at, we don't want to be talked about. Even in the quietness of someone's private life, we don't want them to be talking about how we tried to share with them something that they didn't want to hear. Folks, we have an obligation. And it's not, it's not like, oh, I must do this. No, I get to do this. I get to be a minister of reconciliation. I get to be... How many of you would take an assignment as an ambassador to a foreign country for President Trump... Uh, next week if he call, if the White House called and offered you the ambassadorship to a country, how many of you would consider that strongly? I would hope I know you're, I know you're not going to make, your, make yourself look goofy, but uh, I think every one of us would seriously look at it. We might decide to say no because we're not qualified and because we like where we are and what we're doing, but we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. May God help us, each one, to have a faithful witness today for his glory. Father, thank you for the simplicity of your word. Thank you that you sought us out. You provided for our salvation. And you orchestrated people who would come across our paths and confront us with the simple truth of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer and paid the price of our sin. I pray that if there's anyone this morning in the auditorium who has never trusted Christ, oh, may this hour be the day of their salvation, the hour. Work in hearts. For those of us that name Christ as Lord and Savior, forgive us for our complacency, our lack of passion. Forgive us for the, the occasions, the opportunities that you put before us every day to speak on behalf of our Savior. Father, help us to not live in a way that draws attention to us, but live in a way that draws attention to our Savior, pointing men and women and boys and girls to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Make it so this week in our lives, in our workplaces, in our homes, and we will be careful, God, to give you the glory and the praise for all that is accomplished. We ask it in Christ's name.